This is Ozarks at Large for Tuesday, October 4th, 2022. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellums. There is one week left for you to register to vote if you want to cast a ballot in Arkansas's midterm elections on November 8th. Deadline to register is the end of business day one week from today, Tuesday, October 11th. We're thinking about elections this hour. In about 15 minutes, an excerpt from the latest Ozarks at Large podcast, Natural Election. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich will help us understand more about Arkansas Issue 4, which, if approved, will begin the process in Arkansas towards legal recreational marijuana. We'll start with a supply chain conversation. Later this week, the fourth annual WISE Future Leader Symposium will take place on the University of Arkansas campus. WISE stands for Women Impacting Supply Chain Excellence. Students and faculty from at least two dozen colleges will be here, and the inaugural WISE Legends Ceremony inducting 14 women into a supply chain hall of fame will be part of the gathering. Yesterday, Stephanie Thomas, Associate Professor of Practices of Supply Chain Management and Executive Director of the WISE program, was in our Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. She says the idea behind the WISE program and this week's symposium is to encourage more women to enter supply chain fields. There's still a lack of understanding a lot of times in terms of what could you do with that career. And there's a lot of different options. And so part of the symposium will be focused on meeting people in a variety of different roles, different parts of supply chain, hearing their journey, getting career advice, as well as supply chain is a field that has been um, – there's a gender imbalance is, is the probably the nice way to, to put it. And so part of this initiative is to bring women together at an early age before they kind of build their career – allow them to make connections with industry, but also make connections with each other. Because if they can kind of build that network, maybe you are in an organization and you're kind of by yourself and don't feel like you have anybody that understands you or something. When you have a network that you can rely on, then that can help keep these women in the field instead of potentially going out, working for a few years and going, "Eh, I think I'm going to go to something else. We want to keep the talent in the industry. It's two dozen or more universities that will have students mm-hmm. and representatives involved. Right. From That's how you all, build a network. Yes, yes. From all over the, the country. This is only the second time we've been in person. So this is the fourth year for the symposium. The past two years have been virtual. That was kind of cool in that we actually had some uh, international universities participate. Mm-hmm. So you could kind of make some global connections. But you know, as we all know, the uh, the virtual environment, it, it's good. There's things that you can accomplish in it, but there's nothing that beats getting a, a room full of really excited, uh, passionate people together to um, make connections and see what a difference you can make. Is there still – is there a need to, you know – get even younger women in high school interested in these careers to know that this is something that you could pursue in college and beyond? So absolutely. In fact, I've been this recently I was at the Ignite program Mm -hmm. in Bentonville in the Bentonville School District actually last week teaching high school students about supply chain. So while I am passionate about growing the number of women and also just people from diverse backgrounds in supply chain. There's a huge need for just more talent in supply chain as a whole. And it is one of those fields that I teach an intro to supply chain class at the University of Arkansas. Most of the kids that step foot in the door don't know what it is. So regardless of what they decide to major in, understanding that is going to help them be a better business professional. How do you put a symposium like this together? To get students and faculty from 24 campuses together. It is a huge labor of love and a a passion for me. I Initially, the first year we did it four years ago, I relied on my network of faculty at other universities. So I I felt like maybe I could uh, entice them to bring some students here to Arkansas. And once they kind of believed in it, then it's kind of been a ripple effect and a snowball. And you use resources like LinkedIn and stuff to promote it and, and more people start reaching out to you instead of you reaching out to them. I have wonderful students that work with me with WISE that help with the ideas. They help. We're actually going to be putting together some exhibits for the WISE Legends um, new exhibit that I know we're going to talk about in a few minutes today. We're going to be putting together, you know, name tags and all kinds of stuff. So it's it takes a it takes a village like anything else. I'm guessing corporate and company support. Absolutely. That's extremely helpful. So one of 
my goals has been to minimize cost as much as possible for the attending universities. So there's no registration or conference fee. Oh. And basically all they, and we try to handle most of the transportation and, and food while they're here. So they really just have to pay for the travel cost. The only way that we can do that is the support of, of sponsors. One individual that got kind of really um, enthusiastic about the symposium early on was Shelly Simpson, who's the president of, of J.B. Hunt, she's been amazing to support this program as well as, you know, not just with her finances, but also with her time. A couple organizations that have been overwhelmingly supportive, Walmart, Sam's Club, J.B. Hunt, FedEx Freight, those are kind of been our, our big sponsors. I'm also very grateful there's an organization called the International Supply Chain Education Alliance. This is the fourth year that they have donated scholarships for their certification programs. And this year they're donating up to $100,000 worth of scholarships. So not only can you come, these individuals, to this uh, event, you also have the opportunity to kind of further give yourself a certification that could potentially help build your resume for your career. Is Northwest Arkansas and the, the campus in Fayetteville uniquely situated with these companies that are here, Walmart and Sam's Club and J.B. Hunt and USA Truck? Absolutely. I I was at Texas Tech before I was here. I did my Ph.D. At, at Georgia Southern. My husband and I did our master's at University of Tennessee. And so we've been around different faculty and, and different universities, different places. The density of companies here, as well as their enthusiasm to get involved, is just incredible. And I really don't think you can match it much much anywhere else, especially with the nice cost of living that you have here as well. But it's one thing that's unique about this event, though, for those companies that, that get involved as, as sponsors is you can come to one location and get some of the rock stars mm. from supply chain programs across the country instead of having to attend networking or career fair events all over at 24 universities. You can get the best of the best in one place. All right. There is also a Hall of Fame, and I will geek out on Hall of Fame, Halls of Fame all day long. <laughs> this one's incredible. So it's Pioneers. In, in, in supply chain and transportation-connected businesses. And I saw some names I knew, right? Um, Helen Walton, Janelle Hunt, uh, Judy McReynolds at, at ArcBest, Rosalind Brewer, who mm-hmm. has a, a great history in Northwest Arkansas now with Walgreens. But the real names that got me were these people I'd never heard of, so I started finding out more about. Mary Elizabeth Walton, this 19th century inventor that we didn't know much about. Absolutely. And, and she worked on reducing both um, visual and sound pollution connected with freight trains. Absolutely. And the ir- irony about Mary Elizabeth Walton is she solved some problems that Thomas Edison right. had tried to solve and could never figure out. And she wasn't really an overly well-educated woman, but she had a boarding house that was butted up to some railroad tracks and that caused problems with her business. And so she set out to figure out how can I basically help my business and revolutionize the way things have been done, both in the rail and in manufacturing. And then uh, Edwina Curley Justice, who is Mm -hmm. the first um, locomotive engineer for Union Pacific. When you read about her story, Union Pacific first said, no, we're not going to hire you because Mm -hmm. you're a woman and you're black. But she kept going. Absolutely. I mean, perseverance. Absolutely. I'm super excited about this. It's called the Wise Legends Exhibit. And the idea probably stemmed from we have here in Northwest Arkansas, the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals Supply Chain Hall of Fame that is located up in Rogers, Arkansas. And when you look at some of the names on the walls in that venue, there's very few women. And a a couple of the women are actually on our uh, Wise Legends uh, cohort list for this year. But I kind of had the idea of if we're bringing a bunch of these young women together in one place and getting them excited about a career, let's kind of inspire them by the women that have gone before them and paved a way for the opportunities that they now have. And so currently it is going to be a portable uh, display exhibit, and we have 14 women that are in this year's cohort. I'm super excited because this wasn't a, something I just sat in an office and came up with one day as I worked with some students both at the University of Arkansas and at a variety of other universities and kind of said, do a little research and send me a list of names of women that you feel like have made a difference in the field of supply chain management. So it was really a collaborative. And then 
there was a, a pretty good sized list, which I was like, yes, this is this is great. And we took some time and kind of prioritized and came up with some categories and some groups because we couldn't do it all at right. once. And we're going to each year at the symposium induct a new cohort of women into the Wise Legends uh, well, program. Those of us who didn't really know the term supply chain until four or five years ago, and then all of a sudden it's everywhere, right? Absolutely. In the yes. pandemic. Yes. And we hear that it's broken. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> what if, what are those of you who are professionals in supply chain, it's like, really? This is when you start paying attention to us? <laughs> well, and it's funny because, you know, I, I'm a consumer and human too, and I sure. go to the store and go, what do you mean X isn't on the shelf when I want to make whatever this is for dinner uh, this week? The reality is while we're right now, uh, there's a lot being said that supply chains are broken. When you look at the massive quantities of products and, and movement of things that's coming through supply chains right now, we're actually ahead of where we've been a lot of times in the past. So we're moving more stuff. We just have more stuff that's out there. The more that we all are, you know, buying into the Amazon effect and doing all the online ordering and stuff, that puts a whole lot more stress on supply chains. When you have um, like we've had Ian recently with the weather and stuff, that causes supply chain problems. When you have a, a boat that blocks the Suez Canal, right. that for months, if not years afterwards, will cause supply chain issues. So there's always things that cause these little hiccups. And sometimes we won't see that immediately. It can be weeks, days, weeks, months, years before that really is felt. So Yes, could supply chains always be better? Absolutely. But the amount of stuff that we've done, especially and the amount of um, adjustments companies have made throughout COVID and had to uh, be agile and change because the, the nature of work and everything is, is life was we did it for a while changed dramatically. It's actually really impressive what all has happened and what companies have been able to still do. Stephanie Thomas, Associate Professor of Practices of Supply Chain Management and Executive Director of the WISE Program at the University of Arkansas. The fourth annual WISE Symposium begins Thursday at the Walton College of Business at the University of Arkansas. The incidence of wildfires is rising across the state as dry conditions persist. Daily reports from the Arkansas Department of Agriculture Forestry Division Wildfire Dispatch Center in Malvern show an increase in daily wildfire suppression activities. Joe Fox, state forester with the Arkansas Forestry Division, says current weather conditions in Arkansas can be attributed in part to Hurricane Ian. West of the path of Hurricane Ian and all the way to the Rockies is now again in a significant drought the second one this year for us, and the hurricane last week sucked the moisture out of our air, and so we had some of the lowest humidities we've had all year. He says pastures and forests are showing increasing signs of distress, including early dormancy. We're a month ahead of the normal turn for the dormant season for fall, so uh, there's just a lot going on as far as wildfire danger. The U.S. drought monitor map shows extreme drought conditions developing in west-central Arkansas with northwest Arkansas under a moderate to severe drought warning. State fire risk maps indicate a majority of Arkansas counties are bright red, indicating declared burn bans in place. Fox says all of Arkansas is now at a high risk for wildfires. We have seven uh, districts. We're divided into all the counties. And we've got uh, pilots for at least seven planes. We've got more than seven planes to do detection work. So they're flying every day now in each one of those districts. Autumn is prime leaf and brush burning season, but Fox says to hold off until further notice or, better yet, compost yard waste. He advises Arkansans to watch for smoke and, in case of fire, to contact local fire departments or state wildfire dispatch at 501 332-2000. And by the way, Benton County became the latest to issue a burn ban yesterday. The Black Keys are coming to the Walmart Amp with Band of Horses and the Velveteers Thursday, October 13th. Tickets available at amptickets.com. For more on how you can win tickets, KUAF.com. Arkansas SHIP, the Arkansas Senior Health Insurance Information Program, announces open enrollment now through December 7th. Arkansas SHIP offers free, confidential, unbiased, and educational advice for those needing to find the best Medicare Part D drug plan for 2023. For more, 
1-800-224-6330. Support for KUAF comes from Optimum Business, offering products like secure internet with speeds up to 1 gig and 24-7 business customer support. More at Optimum.com business. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. It's official. Recreational marijuana will be on the ballot in Arkansas, and the votes will be counted. With our voter education podcast, Natural Election, we've been working our way through all the ballot measure voters will see this November. Today, Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich and I started at the beginning of the process on Arkansas Issue 4. It started with a political interest group called Responsible Growth Arkansas, fueled by a lot of state medical marijuana industry donations, organized a professional petition drive this summer to get recreational marijuana or cannabis legalization on the ballot this fall. Submitted in late July, more than 193,000 Arkansas pre-verified voter signatures to the state secretary of state for validation. Twice the number required. Yeah, yeah, they, they did their due diligence on that. What does the ballot measure aim to do? It's complicated, but if approved by a majority, over 50% of voters, November 8th, the Citizen Initiative will amend the state's 2016 voter-initiated medical marijuana law, known as Amendment 98, to accommodate recreational marijuana production, distribution, and sales. It would allow adults 21 and over to legally purchase and possess up to one ounce of recreational marijuana sold over-the-counter at dispensaries across the state as flour in food and in tinctures. Right. So what we're actually doing is we're amending an amendment, right? Right. Uh, after the petitions passed through the hands of the Secretary of State, the Arkansas Board of Election Commissioners, now charged with approving citizen initiatives, unanimously voted to reject this ballot measure, right? It was expected that there would be glitches. And, right, commissioners claim the title, which is a two-page long ballot title, is misleading and fails to cite THC dosage limits for edible recreational cannabis products. THC is the intoxicating stuff in marijuana, if you don't know. Mm -hmm. And Responsible Growth Arkansas says the current medical cannabis law, Amendment 98, in which this proposed recreational marijuana ballot measure is embedded, clearly cites that limit to be 10 milligrams of THC. Right. So that's when it's to your benefit that you're amending an amendment because it's already been stated in the previous amendment, right? Yeah. So as I understand it, the ballot measure aims to repeal these THC limits in recreational marijuana consumables. Yes. And I spoke with the Responsible Growth Arkansas attorney about this specifically, and she says new limits will be determined by the State Alcohol, Beverage, and Control Board, who also will decide protective child-proof packaging once the law goes into effect. Also, state cannabis law mandates that all Arkansas products must be tested with THC content listed on packaging labels. I actually met the state tester at a marijuana expo that was held up here in Northwest Arkansas. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, I saw that Governor Asa Hutchinson a few weeks ago posted a tweet citing a group called Safe and Secure Communities who is opposed to the recreational marijuana initiative, showing an older black man and a young woman who are are stoned laying in the floor in a very kind of esoteric matter. <laughs> yeah. And a month earlier, Hutchinson warned law enforcement at a police convention about the ballot measure. That's because if passed, a portion of tax revenue from the sales of recreational marijuana, like medical marijuana, mm-hmm. will go towards law enforcement stipends, along with 10% to UAMS for cancer research and 5% to drug court. Here's that audio. Uh, I hope that we can stand firm as a law enforcement community in opposition to this. And the reason I oppose it is simply this, that it will increase the usage of marijuana. I believe that marijuana is a harmful drug. It will allow for 100 new licenses to be issued for either growing or dispensing marijuana. Eight of those licenses will be for the cultivation of marijuana in unlimited quantities. In other words, the grow quantities will not be limited in eight of those. So that's the governor 
vocally lobbying against the initiative in advance of the Arkansas Supreme Court decision. What was decided by the Supreme Court? Yeah, it was really interesting. A majority of the seven-member Arkansas Supreme Court voted in favor of Responsible Growth Arkansas's ballot initiative. I read the court's 24-page opinion where Associate Justice Robin Wynn for the majority writes, quote, we conclude that the ballot title at issue is not insufficient for not explicitly stating that the proposed amendment would eliminate THC dosage limits in food and drink containing usable marijuana, end quote, and that, quote, the ballot title identifies the sections of Amendment 98 that would be repealed and provisions that would replace those sections, end quote. And when further states Quote, the people will decide whether to approve the proposed amendment in November, end quote. And concurring with the majority, Justice Rhonda Wood wrote, quote, our constitutional government works best when courts maintain their limited role in this process and permit the people to pursue their constitutional power, referring to citizen-promulgated ballot measures. Regna populus. <laughs> right. And Justice Wood also wrote the first power listed is the initiative. The people reserve to themselves the power to propose legislative measures, laws, and amendments to the Constitution and to enact or reject the same at the polls, independent of the General Assembly, end quote. State lawmakers can make laws, but so can the people. And I don't think a lot of people can realize this, but yeah. more certainly are this election cycle with the recreational ballot initiative, recreational marijuana ballot initiative. And Arkansas is among a dozen states that allows what's called for direct democracy, but only six states are petition initiated like Arkansas. Mm -hmm. Through direct democracy, Arkansas has approved ballot measures to legalize medical marijuana, casino gambling, and more. Right, right. So what happens now, Jackie? Well, expect an onslaught of campaign ads on television and socials for and against recreational marijuana. Responsible Growth Arkansas has so far raised more than $4 million and is frequently paying to have this core ad focused on tax collections to support law enforcement widely broadcast. Here's an excerpt. Issue 4 will safely legalize the sale of cannabis to adults 21 and older and creates revenue that goes to more funding for local police departments, more funding for protecting our communities, more funding for safer streets. A vote for Issue 4 is a vote to support our police. We've also started to see countervailing campaign ads, most notably from an outlier conservative PAC, Safe and Secure Communities, which has entered the Arkansas with their concerns, which you've been investigating, mm -hmm. that's raised more than $2 million. Here's their clip. Proponents of Issue 4 claim legalizing marijuana will protect our communities, but the facts tell a different story. In states that have legalized marijuana, marijuana-related traffic deaths have doubled, youth drug use has skyrocketed, and a major hospital reported that nearly 50% of newborns are testing positive for marijuana. Issue 4 places our children and our communities at risk. Arkansas is better off without legalized marijuana. Vote no on Issue 4. So, a couple of things about that negative campaign ad funded by Safe and Secure Communities. According to the Journal of the Study of Alcohol and Drugs, the ability to document a direct causal link between marijuana use and crash risk have been inconclusive. Unlike alcohol, there's no good objective measure of just how impaired a marijuana user has become. That article was very interesting. Until marijuana impairment can be accurately measured, we won't be able to link it to crash risk, researchers say. Right. And as for newborns testing positive for pot, I found the source of their claim, a hospital in Pueblo, Colorado, where recreational cannabis and medical cannabis are both legal. What hospital data actually show is that of 52 babies born, 11 were drug tested, and of those 11, five were positive for THC. So safe and secure communities data is misleading there. Yeah. However, I did look up the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists who warn pregnant people avoid consuming any cannabis, medical or recreational, due to lack of scientific data on how it affects prenatal and postnatal health. And that's because, 
And this is really crucial. Marijuana remains a federally outlawed drug, mm-hmm. so federal NIH fund drug research remains scant. Mm. Yeah, and so until there's more research available, you know, we we really can't know fully the effects of of what marijuana does, not just to pregnant people, but to people in general, right? That's right. that's something that hopefully, you know, when this sort of stuff becomes more regulated and becomes more available, we'll have better research on it is the hope. What does polling show regarding voter preferences on legalizing recreational marijuana? Talk Business and Politics Hendricks College survey results issued in mid-September, as you know, shows that 59% of likely voters in Arkansas are in favor of the ballot measure, 29% oppose, and 13% are undecided. Right. I actually spoke with Robert Kuhn, who's a, a, an analyst about this polling, and he pointed out that there is favorability amongst all party affiliations in Arkansas. Democrats are largely supportive, I think about 75% uh, supportive. Uh, independents are about 63% supportive. Uh, so they're kind of, that's where the really the base is coming in. Republicans are more evenly split. Our survey kind of had um, about a four point approve uh, support side uh, for those that would like to see it go into effect. But, you know, it's still pretty close. I don't know as, you know, your, your more traditional Republican voters maybe solidify, maybe that number comes down a little bit. But even having some nominal support from Republican voters I think gives this gives it the boost to put it where it is. And of course, it's worth noting that this polling was conducted before the Arkansas Supreme Court ruled that the votes for this measure would be counted. So uh, there's likely room for this polling to sway. Yeah. Expect to see a lot of campaign ads for and against this on your screens this autumn. I believe what's at stake here, however, is Arkansas's reputation, ranked as one of the nation's top 10 Republican states in the U.S. based on voter preferences, not to mention a legislature making national news for being among the first states to criminalize abortion, make voting more complex, and bars trans youngsters from engaging in sport and access to gender-affirming medical care. Still, Arkansas voters in 2016, when (laughs) former President Trump was elected, voted to legalize medical marijuana. To date, 19 other states have legalized recreational pot. In this election cycle, four states, Missouri, South and North Dakota, and Maryland have recreational marijuana legalization on their ballots. Jacqueline Frillick, reporter for Ozarks at Large, thanks so much for your reporting on this. And thank you, Matthew, for covering this. That was Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reporting for the podcast Natural Election. You can find the full episode in your podcast feed today. Natural Election is a production of Ozarks at Large and KUAF Public Radio. The question of legal recreational marijuana is also part of this week's discussion between John Brummett and Roby Brock. Roby, with our partner Talk Business and Politics, asked Brummett, a political columnist with the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, now that the Arkansas Supreme Court has ruled votes for the measure will count, what arguments will we hear from opponents of recreational marijuana? I think there are about three arguments. One is, do you think it legal should be legal or shouldn't be legal? I think that argument is, if you can do it right, legalize it, regulate it, reap money from it. Second, uh, uh, the money uh, means, hey, maybe Sarah Sanders, if she gets in there as governor, really can do away with your income tax. This is going to raise so much money. Uh, we're just, just going to be a bonanza. Then there's the argument about even if you believe we should regulate, legalize, regulate, uh, is this the way to do it? Is this thing too open-ended? Do we need tighter restrictions? Uh, uh, we, we don't have any THC limit in this constitutional amendment. Well, you shouldn't have uh, because uh, the constitutional amendment should be conceptual and then, the, then the, uh, the statute should regulate it. But you're going to hear this argument. You're already seeing it in the commercials. This is harmful to our children. This is a threat to our children. This is a threat to our quality of life. And Colorado has had a horrible experience and, and uh, infants are... are testing positive for marijuana, you're going to hear that against the, the uh, general argument and the economic argument. And I don't know how it's going to go. I do know this. Your poll, 58.5 in favor, I think that's 
that's a starting high point for the amendment. I think this is one of those one of those issues that as we get closer, it's going to narrow, 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 and we'll see if it narrows or if it is overtaken. And it's there's going to be. I'm already seeing. Are you seeing these these things on television? Yesterday, Sunday morning, they were they were all over. It's uh, more advertising, more attention there than on any other race in Arkansas. Yeah, so both sides. Settle in. Yeah, both sides yeah. are up on air with uh, with ads right. making their arguments. I, I agree with you. I think that race uh, tightens quite a bit as people get a little bit more serious about, hey, this is going to be on the ballot. When we polled that, it was still in question as to whether or not the Supreme Court was even going to allow it. Plus, it's a you know you know a, a poll question like that asked in a sort of a vacuum, well away from an election, is is broad and conceptual. Should we legalize it if we could regulate it and? and, and be good for us to reap the benefits of that sure but i'm, I'm telling you i'm getting all these calls from people the people i've known from tennis or from other walks of life and they're all re- they're all saying i just want to talk to you about this amendment and i realize they're all reading to me bullet points that somebody's putting out about the perils of this it's interesting i, I say to a couple of them are you on point four or point five there? Because I've, heard, I've gotten this same call. So there's an organized, you know, campaign, at least to influence me or try to, which is difficult to do. Uh, I don't I don't know how I'm going to vote on it, but I know it comes down to a general concept versus is this actually an efficient, effective way to do it? That's what it comes down to. John Brummett is a political columnist with the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and his writing can be found at ArkansasOnline.com. He spoke with Roby Brock from our partner, Talk Business and Politics. You can find more from their conversation at TalkBusiness.net. The Rogers Lowell Area Chamber of Commerce is hosting its 2022 Northwest Arkansas Fall Job Fair tomorrow from 10 until 3 at the Frisco Station Mall. That's at 100 North Dixieland Road in Rogers. The Chamber's Northwest Arkansas job fairs continue to be the largest and longest-running job fairs in Arkansas, absolutely free to job seekers. There are currently more than 80 employers registered to attend. All of the details can be found at rogerslowell.com. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. Support for KUAF comes from Ballet Arkansas, one of America's top 100 ballet companies. Presenting Dracula, a bold multimedia adaptation of Bram Stoker's legendary novel at the Fayetteville Public Library Event Center, October 14th and 15th. It features epic dance performances and chilling imagery just in time for Halloween. Tickets and information about other performances this season at BalletArkansas.org. Little Wing Productions presents a sleep-at-the-wheel Merry Texas Christmas, y'all, to the auditorium in Eureka Springs, Friday, December 16th, with special guests, the Kate Brothers. Tickets at tickets.thundertix.com. The U.S. Supreme Court yesterday heard oral arguments in a case in which Arkansas and several other states are suing the state of Delaware. At issue is $250 million in unclaimed money transfers sent through the company MoneyGram. Plaintiffs accuse the state of Delaware of claiming the money and using it to balance its state budget. Arkansas Solicitor General Nicholas Brani says Delaware is attempting to get around laws from the early 1970s by classifying the transfers as separate from money orders. Now, 50 years later, Delaware claims that it's entitled to the exact same sort of windfall that led to the enactment of the FDA. To justify that, it argues that the FDA doesn't cover instruments that function precisely like other money orders, but are marketed differently. But marketing strategies do not define commercial instruments, and they don't justify $250 million windfalls. Under a 1974 law, money orders that are unclaimed should be returned to the states in which they were purchased, rather than the state where the company handling them is incorporated, which in this case would be Delaware. Arguing on behalf of the state of Delaware, former U.S. Solicitor General Neil Cadle says states can easily fix the problem by requiring banks to share addresses of clients with companies like MoneyGram. So that means MoneyGram will now be under a duty to go and find those people and say, you know, here, there's this abandoned check. And if they can't find them, even with the address, then that information all goes into the state unclaimed database. Uh, And then you can search by name and address. 
A special master in the case has recommended the Supreme Court side with Arkansas and 28 other states suing Delaware. A decision in the matter isn't expected for months. For the Central Arkansas Library System, I'm Mark Chris with an Encyclopedia of Arkansas Minute. A low-budget Western horror film was shot in Yellville and along the Buffalo River. Released in 1977, Wishbone Cutter, also called The Shadow of Chakira and The Curse of Demon Mountain, featured Joe Don Baker as a Confederate soldier who loses the last fight of the Civil War and discovers his wife is living with a Union officer. A dying soldier, played by Slim Pickens, tells Baker's Captain Wishbone Cutter that he hid a stash of diamonds in a mountain the Indians are scared of. A character called Half Moon O'Brien warns that the mountain is haunted by a powerful demon and that they are being followed by foes who leave no tracks, they move like fog. While Cutter and his crew defeat a group of backwoods deviants, they come out second best to the demon. One reviewer of the obscure movie called it a fair horror western, while another wrote that, after a promising beginning, the film runs rapidly downhill. Recent film historians, though, say the movie, even today, has blogosphere enthusiasts. To learn more, visit encyclopediaofarkansas.net. Wishbone Cutter isn't scheduled for a local screening anytime soon, but some other more recent Spooky Arkansas films will be. The Arkansas Cinema Society is teaming up with Nightmare on Block Street for a few chills. We asked Bo Counts, an organizer of Nightmare on Block Street, and Cody Ford from the Arkansas Cinema Society to give us a quick preview. Cody says we'll have several chances for a communal scare this month. Some of the things that we have planned up here in Northwest Arkansas, we're going to be doing some horror film screenings with our good friend Bo Counts and Nightmare on Block Street. Hey, yeah, uh, it's really exciting to, you know, be a part of Arkansas Cinema Society stuff that's uh, a part of my uh, cocktail side. I mean, I've done films in the state before, but now we're, 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 we're taking it to a next chapter. So, yeah. Horror films, yes, that goes hand in hand with October, but these are specifically Arkansas. Yeah, they're Arkansas-made horror films. So uh, that is, um, you know, th- that's what's fun about it. And with a- at ACS, you know, we bring in films from out of state as well. But whenever we can highlight Arkansas filmmakers and productions that happened here, then, you know, we love that. So what we will be doing, um, a few of them up at, with our friends in Creative Spaces up on Mount Sequoia Retreat Center, we will be doing on October 5th, we're going to screen Door in the Woods by Billy Chase Goforth and produced by Rock Hill Studios. It came out a few years ago, but you know, it, it's a fun one and, you know, hadn't had a chance to screen it around here in a while. So, yeah, let, we were all about doing it. And then on Wednesday, October 12th, we are you know, going to be back at Mount Sequoia again. And we're going to screen uh, Ghost of the Ozarks, a film that was shot in northeast Arkansas by uh, you know two natives of the area. And also we're going to screen a local film, which is a short film called Flight. And it is by Tyler Horn. Yeah, I actually did sound on that uh, yeah. short. He called me up and was like, "Hey, we gotta, we gotta dust off the old sound chops." And I said, "I'm there, man." This was at the Rogers Film Festival. Yeah, yeah, it so was it's there, and it's it's pretty good. And we'll also be at the Fayetteville Film Festival that's coming up in October as well. Yeah. So, and you know, I got to sit down with Tyler the other day and chat with him, and you know, he, he was telling me he brought you out of retirement for sound and all that. So, uh, yeah, it's it's exciting to be able to do that one, and I think you know he's he's got a good fan base too. So hopefully, you know, we get some of his friends there, and they can see another you know film uh, Ghost of the Ozarks that is from you know was also shot here in another part of Arkansas. I want to go back to a word you used to describe door in the Ozarks. I've seen the poster for that and you said uh, it was a fun one. It does not look like it's fun. Oh, door d- d- door in the woods. Door in the woods, right. Well, fun in the sense of, you know, horror movies can Getting be fun, scare, scare yeah, scary so, and fun. Yeah. yeah. And maybe not like, you know, Bozo the Clown for the Kyle, kids. Kyle, what's kind of not fun. fun about a spooky door to the other world that houses demons that snatch your children? That yeah, just sounds a, like a good time. <laughs> it sounds like an appropriate movie for October. Yeah, absolutely. How do people see these? So if people want to see these, they can go to ArkansasCinemaSociety.org, get tickets. It's uh, $15 per ticket, but you know, we're going to have like complimentary uh, beverages and things like that for people. So, you know, it's – and you're getting to support Arkansas filmmakers here. So, yeah, we hope people come on out to Mount Sequoia October 5th and October 12th. Uh, yeah, it would be a good time. And, you know, just stay tuned. ACS has a lot of big things coming up. We're going to be doing some more screenings, um, you know, after – 
we're shooting for some November and December up here that we can't quite announce just yet. But we also have Filmland coming up November third through sixth down in Little Rock. You know, last year we had quite a few people come down from Fayetteville and you know the surrounding areas up here. So we're hoping we get more people down there. We're planning it. It's going to be at Ron Robinson Theater downtown. It's going to be a good time. I and mean, we usually have at least one big celebrity come in, and we you know we're getting films from Sundance, from Telluride, from all the big festivals, and then you know we're also going to be screening our Filmland Arkansas selections uh, in person again this year since we have the theater so that's going to be a lot of fun too cody ford is with the arkansas cinema society and bow counts and organizer of nightmare on block street last month the federal government released new numbers on hunger and poverty in the united states the report puts arkansas in the top five worst states for both with 15 percent of the state's population living in poverty Bridget Moix, General Secretary with the lobbyist group the Friends Committee for National Legislation, says 10% of all U.S. households are food insecure, meaning they were unable to get enough food to feed themselves or their families due to a lack of money or resources. As many as 34 million people are, are going hungry, and that includes 9 million children um, at least. Uh, so it's, it's a really difficult um, situation for a lot of folks. In a country which really um, shouldn't have this problem, if you look at um, the wealth across the country. Since the pandemic, the number of Arkansans who are considered food insecure has increased by nearly 11 percent. Moix says federal assistance programs are key to solving hunger in the United States. We have really important federal assistance programs like uh, the Earned Income Tax Credit, the Child Tax Credit, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Programs, or what people know as food stamps. And those programs have been really pivotal in actually pushing the the rate of poverty down. So even though we still have far too many people living in poverty and going hungry, the reality is that if you look further back, we've been closing that, that gap. It's been getting better for families. And that's a big credit to those programs. Uh, unfortunately, some of those programs now uh, are not being extended. Congress actually allowed the child tax credit, one of the most important and most effective tools we have for reducing childhood poverty. Um, They they let it expire at the end of 2021. She says the child tax credit, which was increased to $3,600 for children under six and $3,000 for kids ages six to 17 in 2021, made a significant impact in raising many families out of poverty. So what in December, when it expired, almost immediately, we saw 3.7 million kids across the country fall back into poverty. Um, that's millions of kids who, you know, won't have enough food on the table, may not be able to get their new school supplies uh, for the school year. And, and that's just one of those programs, but it's one of the most important ones here at the federal level that can really uh, have important impacts for communities there in Arkansas. Last week, President Biden announced a plan to eliminate child hunger by the end of the decade, which included several policy changes, such as expanding SNAP eligibility, expanding access to free meals in schools, and making permanent the expanded child tax credit. All of these proposals would need approval from Congress. A new study from the Arkansas Center for Health Improvement further confirms many Arkansans live in a food desert, an area where residents live at least one mile from a grocery store in urban areas and at least 10 miles from a grocery store in rural areas. The ACI study found that one in four census tracts in Arkansas, and that's a geographic zone that can be as small as an urban neighborhood or as large as a rural county, have at least 50 percent of residents living in a food desert. Dr. Joe Thompson, the president and CEO of ACI, says there are possible ways to reduce the number of food deserts in Arkansas. I think financial incentives, uh, including you know, tax subsidies, other strategies, uh, opportunities to blend programs, uh, layered financing, all of these things to be able to get local food sourcing available for Arkansans they live are important. Thompson is one of the members of Governor Asa Hutchinson's Food Desert Work Group. By the end of the year, the group is expected to produce a report recommending policy initiatives and funding opportunities to improve food access in the state. The second annual Salsa at the Bell Tower in the UAFS campus is Thursday evening. The free event includes a night of dancing and music. Attendees can learn different dance steps from a variety of Hispanic and Latino cultures and enjoy some traditional drinks and food. 
The event lasts from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Thursday night. The event is part of the University of Arkansas Fort Smith's Hispanic Heritage Month observations. And in October, do you really need a reason to be in Newton County other than it's a fantastic place to be in October? Well, the Newton County Public Library does have a few events just in case you need a gentle nudge to further experience Fall in the Ozarks. Thursday, the library is hosting Lauren Cannon with the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission to present the program History of Wildlife in Newton County. It'll begin Thursday night at 5 at the library on South Stone Street in Jasper. The talk will also be streamed through Zoom and Facebook. You can find out more at newtoncountylibrary.org. Restore Humanity's 2022 Winetopia is Friday, October 14th at Stone Chapel at Matt Lane Farm in Fayetteville. This event will include food, entertainment, wines, local craft beers, top-shelf bourbon, silent auction, and more. Proceeds benefit Restore Humanity's work in Kenya. RestoreHumanity.org for tickets. Discover something for everyone in the family this fall at the Scott Family Amazium in Bentonville. New programs begin soon for homeschool families, early learners, and creed of kids ages 10 to 14. For more information and registration, amazium.org. This is Ozarks at Large. With me in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studios, Lee Wood, KUAF's General Manager. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. All right. Uh, last week, we concluded the September fundraising month for KUAF. How'd we end up? We ended up uh, with just over $104,000. $104,665 to be exact. The goal was $150,000. Yeah, we're, we were a little off on that one. Um, you know, and I, I, you've seen plenty of fundraisers, and I've seen my fair share too, and you don't always meet the goal. Right. Um, I'm tempted to say that this might be the farthest off in my memory um and we did a little bit of debriefing about it here's some let's talk bright points first okay okay um so we welcomed 55 new donors which is excellent uh we were looking for 50 so we surpassed that goal that's good um we along with uh joel and lynn carver really good friends of the station who had a special challenge for us uh because of our partnership with them, we were able to send $1,500 to Canopy NWA. For, well, for the welcoming kits? For the welcoming kits for refugee families that are relocating in That's the area. Great. Amazing. Um, and we uh, we heard from lots of, uh, you know, very loyal and longtime giving members of the station. Uh, and people may ask, because we've got so many sustainers and we really do have a steady and reliable monthly amount that comes in mm -hmm. you know why you keep doing these fundraisers and um just like very many things in the public radio industry things are changing the way that people are running fundraisers is changing we will always have on-air fundraisers in some aspect because we have to talk to new listeners right and let them know about how the funding model works and that it is indeed support from people just like them or them themselves that allows us to do everything we do here but also it's the sustainers really converting one-time givers into sustainers because um we know that our costs will be ongoing and will be increasing right unfortunately everybody else's costs are increasing as well so we do know that that was tough and that's this is it makes it more difficult to give a charitable gift when you're spending more on your groceries and your gas so we completely understand about that. But, um, you know, we will have our winter fundraiser in December and we will uh, be looking for $50,000. In some ways, uh, it's a little bit of a makeup for what we didn't get in the fall. But this is how fundraising in public radio goes. For those of you who've been listening for a long time, you know that we have to continually fundraise because we have costs that are continuous. Well, and one of the things we talk about during the fundraiser that we're proud of is that so much of our budget does come from listeners. Absolutely. Which makes us only answerable to the listeners. To the listeners, But yes. that requires then. Yeah. And so, and we know also that there's probably more um, competition for your attention oh right now than maybe there has ever been. Uh, people are out um, after being, you know, sequestered in our homes, everybody's schedules are filling up. There's so much going on. So, uh, but we also know people are listening. We had uh, 
we know that people are listening. So we will be coming to you and reminding you. Um, and of course, if you didn't, weren't able to give during the on-air fundraiser or in the month of September, you can always give at supportkuaf.com. We know that there were some people who had some problems giving on their phone. Uh, and so that's something that we're, we're looking into as well. But, you know, when you don't consistently make your goals, at some point, you do have to sit down and look at your budget. Yeah, that brings up something that I was asked this weekend. Uh, does this mean my favorite show X is going away? No, it does not mean your favorite show X is going away. But it might mean that we have to uh, make some hard decisions about some of the other programming we do um, and some of the event work mm-hmm. that we do and uh, that engagement work and some of the digital content that we create. These are all sort of bonus things, right, that we do to enhance your listening and to inform you and educate you and challenge you and entertain you, which is our mission to do, also to meet you where you are um, and to get you to engage more with your community and with us. And um, we're just going to have to look at that and see if we can afford to continue to do some of those things if we don't consistently meet our goals. All right. SupportKUAF.com is where you can contribute. Lee, thanks so much. Thanks, Kyle. KUAF is your source for news and entertainment, both on the air and in your podcast feed. With podcasts like Ozarks at Large, Points of Departure, The Lunch Hour, and Undisciplined, you can rely on KUAF to bring you a diverse lineup of culture and news whenever you need it. Find our entire lineup of podcasts at KUAF.com slash podcast. Join KUAF, the African and African American Studies Program at the University of Arkansas, and the Fayetteville Public Library for the R Word book discussion series with author, speaker, and historian Jamar Tisby, who will join us virtually to speak on his book, How to Fight Racism, that was featured on The R Word, a limited series podcast from KUAF. Can you share some of your story with us? Who are you and why are you here today? <laughs> it's a long story. The short version is I am a black Christian who has learned the hard way about the enduring racism in some circles of white Christianity. Join in the discussion on how to fight racism Thursday, October 13th at 6.30 p.m. Go to KUAF.com for more information. And young This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Mount Magazine. KUAF is a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors today included Jacqueline Froelich and Roby Brock. Daniel Carruth provided the information about food insecurity. And additional material on today's show originated in the newsroom at KUAR, Public Radio for Central Arkansas and Little Rock. Our thanks to KUAF General Manager Lee Wood for coming to the studio. Our theme, written and performed by Daryl Sean. Tomorrow, on a Wednesday, Ozarks at Large, we'll highlight uh, something from the latest Undisciplined podcast. That's right. We had a conversation with author and 501c3 CEO Claude Johnson talking about the pre-NBA African-American basketball leagues across the North in the United States. Really fantastic conversation. We'll hear an excerpt tomorrow on Ozarks at Large. The full podcast will be available tomorrow as well, wherever. Wherever you get your podcast, Kyle. All right. Very good. Also, tomorrow, we're going to learn more about Behind the Music taking place this weekend in Springdale at the Apollo Theater. Two great musicians, a chef, and conversation. That's right. And if you miss our show any day of the week, you can find it in your podcast feed. Just look for Ozarks at Large wherever you listen, or you can find us online at OzarksAtLarge.com. And you can always ask your smart speaker to hear the latest edition of Ozarks at Large. Just say, please play Ozarks at Large. And if you're not in the broadcast area, you can always stream us at KUAF.com or through the absolutely free KUAF app. That's right. From the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2, I am Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellams. Thank you so much for spending time with us. We will be back with you tomorrow at noon and 7 p.m. And don't forget, you can hear the complete natural election podcast that we had a highlight from on today's show by going to your preferred podcast distributor or to KUAF.com. Have a great rest of your Tuesday.